Um, okay, so our um, our topic today is we're going to be uh, you know we're, we're doing this series on parenting in COVID times, and um, so last week we talked a little bit about a framework for making hard decisions, like hard decisions, um, you know, in 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 uh, in times like we have today. Today we're going to be talking a little bit about kind of how to manage a little bit of the stress and anxiety um, that comes um, that comes with um, you know with COVID times, and so uh, we're going to talk about this the distinction between your role as a parent and your responsibility as a parent, um, because a lot of times the anxiety that we experience in life um, it comes when we try to assume responsibilities that actually belong to God or that belong to other people uh, and rather than staying in our role, staying in our role. And, um, and you know, that's a, that's a really, that's a really, um, I think a good, it's just not, 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 not focusing um, just on this kind of COVID parenting, but, I think that during these times, a lot of the reason that so many people experience so much anxiety um, is because a lot of people are at home and they're watching cable news a lot. And cable news, um, you know, has its merits, I'm sure, and and um, and and it has its downsides, just like anything else. But it seems that when we watch news that is kind of seems to be intended to scare the mess out of us that where that anxiety and stress comes from is we start to um, we start to kind of worry about and feel a sense of responsibility for things that we really don't have any control over. Um, and so uh, I know for myself, that's part of why I kind of, I don't do Twitter and I don't watch cable news is because it tends to bring me into a place where I start to worry about and internalize things that I just don't have any control over. Um, and so, um, except to, you know, to pray. And so, uh, so with that being said, we're going to think about that, you know, as a parent, what is your role versus what is your responsibility? And so I'm going to team teach today with Anna Harris. Anna, would you like to do a pageant wave? Thank you. So Anna is a, a, a really close friend of mine. She's, uh, one of my heroes. She's actually number one on that list. And um, she is a uh, mother of three boys. One is in the real world, two, uh, two are in college. And Anna um, is the editor-in-chief of the Rooted blog. Um, she's really kind of, she's a founding editor of Rooted Parent, that, that segment of the blog. She's a very good speaker. She's an extraordinary writer. She has a book called Fresh Faith. It's a devotional for, teen, for, for um, college students. And um, she has many more books to write. <laughs> no pressure. But anyhow, uh, so Anna is just a very, very wise and godly person. And so um, Anna is going is to be the first one out of the gate. She's our starting pitcher. And then we'll pull some schlep out of the bullpen named Cameron uh, for middle relief. But um, Anna, take it away. Um, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with y'all. Thanks for um, letting me join y'all. Um, what uh, I, that was really sweet of what Cameron um, was sharing, but um, what I first, when I first learned about role versus responsibility, it was actually from Julie Sparkman. I think it was in her idol addiction teaching, but thinking, understanding what our role and what our responsibility are as parents, um, 
really has been such a freeing concept for me. It has um, brought my anxiety level down a lot. It has um, maybe increased my, my prayer life because what I can always do is pray. Um, and um, I think that uh, I'm hopeful that this concept will be really freeing for y'all as well. Because um, we know that God has given us a really vital and important role in our kids' lives. And what we do as moms and dads, really, it matters a lot. And um, but it matters to the extent that we're faithful and obedient to what God has called us to do as parents. And we're going to talk about what those parameters look like, both of us will. Um, but the ultimate responsibility for our kids' lives, their futures, and their spirits, those things lie in God's hands. And knowing that is tremendously comforting. I'll, I'll tell you a story that um, from my own life that sort of illustrates this a little bit. My youngest child was born a tank. He was um, 22 and a half inches long, massive baby, and um, stayed that way for months and months. And um, happy, fat baby until about age eight or nine months. And for, for no apparent reason, he suddenly started um, vomiting everything that he ate. I mean, it was incredible. If it went in, it was coming out. And um, it was, uh, by the time he was a year old, he was skinny and pale and had been diagnosed with failure to thrive. He had fallen off the bottom of the growth chart. And, you know, hearing failure to thrive for a mom is like, it's like a dagger. And I took it very much on myself that I had to fix this. And I became obsessed with every single morsel that went in my child's mouth. I wouldn't leave him for anything because I wanted to see exactly what went in and what went out. And our whole family revolved around um, this one child's eating. And, you know, we were at Children's Hospital all the time. I, I thought if I could just figure this out and fix it, then my child would be okay. Um, my role at that time in Ben's life was to fix him healthy food and set up, um, you know, regular meal times and make sure they weren't too crazy because there were three boys in the house, make sure things were fairly calm and to do the things that the doctors told me to do. That was my role in his life. But try as I might, I could not control how much food actually stayed in his stomach. That responsibility was completely out of my hands, and it was truly in God's hands. If I had understood role versus responsibility a little bit better, it would not have fixed whatever was going on with his digestive system, um, but it would have helped me be a whole lot less anxious about it. Um, it wouldn't have eliminated the struggle, but it would have left me a lot more um, uh, peaceful, able to hear from God. I would have paid more attention to my other children, um, and I, it, it wouldn't have been something that that took over our whole family for months. Um, and and I, I wish I had known about this then. When I understand that I have a vital role, but I'm not ultimately responsible for my kids, then it helps me to be curious. What, what, what is my role? Um, I think it's important to remember that when we evaluate what our role is as parents, that our guide is not the culture. It's um, scripture and scripture alone. 
It's not. Um, our culture will always add more burdens to the things that a good parent should and should not be doing. Um, your culture will tell you that your child needs a new bat every season or that if they don't take, you know, all these cheerleading lessons and they won't cheer for Mount Brook High School or, or Vestavia High School and then their lives will be less than. Our culture is going to sell us a lot of lies about what we're supposed to do as parents. And so it's really important to separate out what does scripture tell me? Um, there are a number of verses we could look at, but I'm going to look at two in particular because I think they sort of sum up most of what, what our guidelines are. The first is Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7. And it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words I command you shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. And um, loving God is first and foremost. And having that written on your heart, which is the wellspring of your life, means that out of your love for God flows everything else that you do. And the natural overflow of God's love from your heart is teaching your children to love him like you do, or, or teaching your children how worthy of love that he is. And that teaching, this verse tells us, is perpetual. It's ongoing. It's happening when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise. Well, you're doing one of those four things all day long, every day, right? You're, you're, that's constant. This is how, this is the way of life in our homes. Um, it's talking about God's love for us and our love for him in, in everything we do all the time. It's the way of life in our home. Um, so that's, that's really our first um, guideline. Um, the second verse is um, Ephesians 6, 4. And I love this verse. We actually did a handful of articles on Rooted about this um, last month because I think it's just really rich. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And um, it's interesting because that word exasperate can be translated, do not provoke them to anger or do not discourage your children. And I kind of like thinking about all three of those um, when I think about this verse. I think it's fascinating because um, what it's saying is we can avoid frustrating and discouraging our children by disciplining them. And that's sort of counterintuitive, right? They seem to be frustrated when they're disciplined. But in fact, um, it, is, it is frustrating for them not to know who God is, not to be instructed about his ways and not to discipline him um, and require, d discipline them and require obedience. So it's actually um, sort, of, sort of counterintuitive Our, what your children need is discipline. They need to know what the parameters are, what the boundaries that God has set in place for them. And that brings them comfort, um, security, and, um, and of course, it, it will bring more blessing. So, hey, Anna, can I jump in on that for one second? Yeah. yeah. When you see the word discipline in the New Testament, like the connotations for us in English of discipline um, are, you know, just correction. 
And the, the word for discipline in, um, in Greek is a little more broad than that. It's kind of like overall instruction. Mm. Um, so, so, you know, I think that's it, a big part of it is the, um, you know, disciplining your child when they do wrong. Like you said, reinforcing the rules, reinforcing the parameters and the boundaries. And, um, and it's actually just kind of overall um, instruction and like teaching of your child. So that's one thing to throw in there. Like people, a lot of times people talk about, uh, well, never mind. I'm not going to go there. Go on. Yeah, no, that, that's, um, that's great. I mean, I think one of the, the coolest things to do with your kids is just to talk about who God is you know, what, what, what's his character like? And that's instruction in the Lord because they, you know, based on what his character's like, we, we can learn a lot about, um, what he's called us to as well. So, um, certainly there's more to our role as parents. I think Cameron's going to talk a little bit more about some of those things, but we're called to provide for our children. We're called to protect our children. We're called to nurture their gifts. Um, and, um, it's really worth making a serious study of what God has called us to do. Um, and also thought, think about what he has not called us to, um, what responsibilities has God not given you? Um, what, what, it, what is not your responsibility with regard to your children? Um, I, uh, got into a power struggle with my oldest over potty training and, um, the pediatrician said to me, you need to understand right now, you are not going to be able to make your child eat, sleep, or poop ever. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was actually like a moment and I remember that so clearly, realizing for the first time that, you know, when our children are infants, we think we have so much control and we do, we pick them up, we carry them, we feed them, you know, but it was, it, you know, every day you're, you're letting go of, of things that are in your camp to do for them and training them how to do them um, for themselves. And um, you can set them up for um, success you can set them up to know everything there is to know about God. You can set them up for with good schooling. You can set them up with um, healthy eating to have healthy bodies. Um, but you can't control the outcomes of all your training and all your teaching. Those things are in God's hands. And as Cameron's going to share, also in their hands to some degree. Um, you can show your child who Jesus is and you can talk to your child about why you love him, but you cannot make your child love Jesus. And you can uh, demonstrate consistent discipline and you can be clear about what consequences are, but you cannot make a child have an obedient heart. And you can demonstrate godly character and you can model things like repentance and forgiveness and compassion and um, service and honesty, but you can't mold your child's character. Um, that, that is, is God's responsibility. Um, I'll tell you another story. Um, several years later, uh, a different child um, was 16 and he went to a party after a basketball or a friend's house after a basketball game and called me later and asked me if he could spend the night. And I could tell from the questions I was asking that, uh, there was drinking going on and that the parents were probably not home. 
And over the course of the next two hours, we proceeded to have several fights on the telephone um, and it did not go well. Um, my child was uh, defiant and I could not make him come home. And I can't remember why I didn't go over to the house, but I, for whatever reason I didn't. And it was, it was a really um, terrible, you know, moment between the two of us. And I went up to my room and got in bed and pulled the covers over my head. And I remember thinking, I am so ashamed before God, I can't even pray about this. I have totally failed to command my son's respect and he's disobeying me. And this has got to be at least partly my fault, right? And about 15 minutes later, um, the light suddenly came on in my room and there he was standing in my room. And I was like, what, what in the world made you come home? And he was like, you know, mom, I just realized it wasn't right. And there was bad stuff going on and I shouldn't have been there. And I was disrespectful and I'm sorry. And, um, I felt like it was time to come home <laughs> Yeah. I mean, yay God. Right. I mean, it was really this amazing turning point for me as a mom, because I realized that God has his own relationship with my child and he can reach them and go with them places that I can't go. He can bring about conviction or uh, direction or guidance when I'm completely powerless and when I don't even necessarily know what's best sometimes. Um, Cause in the span of 30 minutes, my child went from being a rebellious punk to being contrite and repentant. And I could not claim any credit for it. That was, that was God who he knows. God knows him. He knows God. That was between the two of them. So um, I can rest in that particularly the older they get, I can rest in the fact that God goes with them. God can speak to them and um, give them guidance when, when I can't. Um, one more thing I want to say uh, with regard to how ashamed I felt, because that was a significant feeling in, in that moment that night. My worth as a parent or as a human being is not tied up in how my children behave. It's not tied up in whether or not they do the things that I have taught them to do. I have the righteousness of Christ and I don't have to be ashamed of my weakness before God. I don't have to be ashamed of my child's weakness or my child's disobedience. He has covered me with his righteousness and he will cover my child. Um, if God called you to be a parent, which he has, if you're here, um, he will give you the grace to, um, to be that parent. So that's, that's where I, that's where I had to stop and I'll let Cameron take over from there. Thanks, Anna. Thanks team mom. Um, and that's really good. So I am going to talk just a little bit. I'm going to go a little bit more, um, uh, kind of, uh, Anna's given us kind of a good conceptual, start and I'm going to just get a little bit into some specifics. So can y'all see that screen? It says commanded yep. situational role. Okay, great. So, you know, we're talking about role versus responsibility and 
there are areas where um, it's very specific, like the Bible is really concrete about what our role is. So, you know, for example, when we look through the Bible, um, you know, we're talking about commanded role. That's what God explicitly calls parents to do in scripture, not parents to, oh, yes, what God explicitly calls parents to in scripture. Um, whereas situational role is like in a given situation where there's really no black and white, there's nothing explicit that the Bible has said, what is God, what is my role here? You know, like my child is playing sports. What is my role? Am I supposed to be the coach? Am I supposed to be hands off? Like what is the role? And so I'd say that for, you know, a, a, most of the situations that we encounter as parents that, um, it's more, usually more situational. It's usually not as black and white. So some of the, the commanded role, things that are uh, specific, explicit, and clear, um, God says we're called to discipline our children. I would say when you do kind of like a biblical theology of a parent's role, that's actually the word that is most used, both in the Old Testament and the New, um, to discipline our kids. Um, and, you know, we said that some of that is instructional and some of that is like correcting our kids and, you know, kind of training them in, in the real time of life. Um, secondly, we're, we're called to teach them God's word, you know, to teach them about who God is and about his love for us and the gospel and, um, and yeah, stories of the Bible, things like that. Um, there's, and there's one, uh, a couple mentions of this in, in Paul's letters, but manage your household. That's a parent's role. Um, you know, you're called to love your children. And of course that has, that encompasses a lot of things in terms of like protecting them and being affectionate with them and encouraging them and, um, telling them no. Um, and then finally raising children in the church and have them in corporate worship. That, that's something that's specifically commanded. So, um, so then though, you've got the situational role and like, what is it that God's calling you to in a specific situation? You know, and, and with the COVID times that we're in right now, it's not like God is, it's not like it's, you know, um, anywhere in, in any of the books of the Bible, like here is what you do in a pandemic. <laughs> this is your role in a pandemic. And so, um, so we really do have to kind of seek, um, you know, based on biblical concepts, but also just seeking our own, uh, our own relationship with God, like what is our role uh, for a specific thing. And so I want to look at two, two stories kind of quickly. I'm going to tell the stories more than we're going to read them. But two stories from the Old Testament, uh, both involve leaders in Israel and both involve battle, um, warfare. So the first is from the book of Judges. Uh, and, and it's a guy named Gideon. This is in Judges 6 and 7. And Gideon was, um, Gideon is a really, really compelling character um, because he's very relatable. Um, Gideon is insecure. Um, Gideon is, um, he feels totally inadequate. And so the problem in Israel was that uh, the Midianites and the Amalekites and another group that's referred to as um, an, an Eastern group of people, uh, that they were going, when Israel was planting their crops, they were sneaking into Israel and they were deliberately damaging the crops in Israel so that they would, they could, uh, um, reduce Israel's food supply. And so this was creating, you know, a food supply, a food security crisis in Israel. And so God comes to Midian, Gideon and he says, Gideon, um, I'm raising you up to uh, to go to battle with the Midianites, to you know, to defend Israel from this, and so Gideon says, "I can't do this, God. Like, I'm, uh, you know, I'm from the, the the smallest clan of of Manasseh, one of the twelve tribes. Like, 
I'm the weakest and the smallest of all my brothers. And he's like, I'm just, I'm not the guy, you know, I am not the guy to go to battle with this, you know, enemy that's much bigger than we are. And so God is like really, really gracious and meets Gideon where he is. He gives Gideon signs. He sends the angel of the Lord to have conversations with Gideon. And so it's interesting. It all starts with this. It all starts in Judges 6 and 7. Um, This is the first thing that that God kind of says to encourage Gideon and to lead him uh, to fulfill his situational role, which is to lead the people in the battle. Like there's the problem. And he's saying, Gideon, you've got to lead the people. You've got to initiate battle. And so God says, it says, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. And so, um, so basically, this is kind of like an Old Testament proclamation of the gospel. Like if we were going to, in a New Testament sense, we were going to proclaim the gospel, we would point to the cross. We would point to the resurrection of Jesus. And that would be like the historic events, the you know, concrete narratives that we would point to to say, hey, look, God is a rescuer. God is a deliverer. He has, you know, delivered us from the, uh, the slavery of sin, and he has brought us into the promised land of relationship with Christ now and forever. Well, in the Old Testament, they would always point back to the Exodus. And so it starts with this kind of Old Testament gospel proclamation. He says, don't forget that I um, am the one who delivered you from slavery. You were powerless. You were powerless to get yourself out of slavery, and I uh, freed you. I brought you across the Red Sea and I brought you uh, through the wilderness and I brought you into the promised land. And so I think, you know, in this conversation about role and responsibility, a good starting point as a parent is to remember um, role versus responsibility in your own salvation. Um, Remember, um, remember that, um, remember that, you know, like you, none of us had the ability to make ourselves righteous. None of us had the ability or the power uh, to atone for our sins uh, before a holy God. Um, God took that responsibility in Jesus. Jesus took that responsibility in living a perfect life. He took that responsibility in dying for our sins. Um, you know, our role is to receive that gift. You know, our role is to, to no longer to stop trying to be our own savior and to trust Jesus to be that savior. Um, but the, the heavy lifting, uh, that really fell on the back of Jesus. And so, and it fell in, in, you know, in, into God's realm of control. And so that's where it starts with Gideon. And so, you know, God is really gracious in making clear to Gideon what he's supposed to do. You know, he gives him a bunch of signs to give him this reassurance that I'm with you. Um, he then says to Gideon, you know, get, get the people together. And he says, Gideon, the army's too big. Gideon had an army of 20,000 men. And God says, no, 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 no. You need to winnow it down by half. Tell anyone who's nervous, they can go home. So 10,000 people go home. And then he basically goes about this process of winnowing down the army to 300 people from 20,000 to 300. And he's like, okay, now, and and God does that. God does that because he wants it to be clear that when the Israelites win in the battle against the Midianites, that it's clear that it was God 
and God alone who did it. God gets all the glory and no one's like, Gideon, you're the man or, you know, man, Israel, we're the best. Uh, it's like, no, God has delivered us. And so those 300 guys, God tells them, go on up there and blow your trumpets as loud as you can. They basically engage in psychological warfare. And uh, it creates, the, it's so loud that it creates this great sense of like chaos amongst the Midianites in the middle of the night. And they, they start fighting each other and they, they start running and the Israelites kind of chase them out of the land and they win the battle. And so in this situation, God, you know, kind of in prayer, Gideon is honest with God about his inadequacy and his fears and his weaknesses. And he, um, he, God, you know, and he's praying and talking to God and talking to God and step by step, God makes clear in that situation what his role is. So for us, I think, you know, a, a concept from the Gideon story is that um, as we are worried about our kids and worried about what we are to do and, um, and you know, what are the, what's the wisest course of action, a good starting point is to be honest with God about your fears, your inadequacies, your concerns. Um, that honors the Lord. Uh, it is a worshipful thing. Um, the, the sacrifices of the Lord are a, uh, a broken spirit and a contrite heart. That's from Psalm 51. So that, that is an honor. That's a worshipful thing to, to be honest with God about your weakness and your frailty and your inadequacy. And um, to continually kind of pray and, and let God kind of lead you down the path uh, of what your role is. But in that, keep in mind, in this story of Gideon, like, there is no way if Gideon tries to do this his way and take full responsibility for the battle of going in there and fighting and so on and so forth, there is no way they're going to win. Uh, it's a massive army. And so only by staying within the realm of his role, which his role is just to lead a little group up there and to blow trumpets, and that's it. By staying in his lane, uh, that is the only way it was going to work. All right, so now the next story is that of Jehoshaphat. Now, this is one of the best illustrations of the, um, the gospel, I think, in the Bible. It's amazing. And I'm not going to get too deep into it in the name of time. But we have a king of Judah, Judah being the southern kingdom of Israel, called Jehoshaphat. And this is in 2 Chronicles 20. And so basically, Israel is a small country. And, and, and Judah was even smaller. There were 12 tribes of Israel. Judah only contained two of those tribes, and they were small. So, I mean, they were teeny And so they've got the, uh, the armies of the Amorites and um, the Jebusites and uh, I think the Amalekites too. Anyhow, all three of these armies surrounding, uh, surrounding Israel. And they're, I mean, they're, they're done. They're toast. You know, they basically were going to starve them out. And so it's really amazing to look at the process that Jehoshaphat goes to when he is made aware of and sees this problem. And so first, it says in verse three, it says, then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord. Now look, notice he doesn't, he's afraid. He doesn't start to micromanage. He doesn't start, immediately start doing a strategic plan. He first sets his face to seek God and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And so basically now he's calling everybody, hey, let's seek the Lord together. Um, so then verse five, and Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God in heaven? 
you rule over all the kingdoms of the nation. In your hand are the power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. So all power belongs to God, all control belongs to God. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it, to, give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, the judgment, or pestilence, or famine, you could throw in pandemic, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house and cry out to you in our affliction, you will hear and save us. So you can see that there is, he's turning to God. He is praying. Um, he, is remem- he is remembering who God is. He's remembering who God is. Now this is super cheesy. I read it on a bumper sticker, but I think it's really, really good. And that is, don't tell, your pro- don't tell God how big your problems are tell your problems how big your God is. Now, I I don't know why I feel like I have to say it in that accent, uh, but I think it's a money ball quote. Don't tell God how big your problems are. Tell your problems how big your God is. And basically what it's kind of pointing us to is, you know, as we are kind of worrying about different situations um, that we're facing as parents and what our role is versus responsibility, a good place to start is remember who God is. Remember that he is all powerful. Remember that he knows everything. Remember that he loves your child better than you do. He knows your child better than you do. He knows your child's past, present, and future entirely. Um, he has, he has you know, promised to be the God of our children, um, the God of our families. And so he's given us his Holy Spirit. And so that enables us to relinquish responsibility to the Lord. Because we're remembering like, oh yeah, like he is very, very capable. He's very capable and he's infinitely, literally infinitely more capable than I am. And so, you know, the, um, the cool line that comes from this story is um, uh, the people, you know, get a response from God through a prophet, one of the prophets of Israel. There's a great line here. They rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Josephat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. So trust what God has told you. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing and praise in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And so one of the the lines that comes out of this that's repeated is the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. And so here's the role that God commands Jehoshaphat and the people of Israel. He says, don't go out and fight. He tells Gideon, in this situation, your role is to go out and fight. But in this story, he says, Jehoshaphat, you guys stay in the city. Stay behind the walls. And all I want you to do is I want you to praise me and I want you to pray. In this situation, the battle belongs to the Lord. And what happens is the next morning they come out and they see a bunch of dead Amorites and Ammonites and Jebusites because they've gotten in a fight. And there's become a conflict in those different armies and they have all killed each other. 
they've gone in battle against each other and they've turned their attention away from Israel. So Israel does not lay, does not lift a sword or a spear or a shield. They do not in any way engage the situation. The role in that situation that God gave them was guys, stay back, stay back. And trust me, the battle belongs to the Lord. And so, you know, for, you know, in terms of like a good little soundbite, as you think about stepping back and, um, and just, you know, prayerfully discerning what your role is um, through prayer in, in some of these situations is once, you, you know, God has called you to do your part and nothing else to just remind yourself the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. Like the responsibility is in the hands of God and, you know, to this extent. Um, and, you know, Anna said that, you know, like, we have a role to teach our kids certain things. We have a role to protect our kids. And at the end of the day, your child has a responsibility to make certain decisions that falls on them, that they're accountable for. And the, God claims responsibility over the vast majority of the outcomes. And so, um, and so that, that frees us up. And so when we have to let go of control, that's easier said than done, right? And that's where praying to God, trusting God, and, and praising God, remembering who he is, is a very helpful comfort for us um, as we relinquish uh, control of things that we really do not have, we really are not, we don't have any control over. So um, Anna, do you have any kind of, before we go into questions, do you have any kind of uh, responses to kind of what I said there? Um, well, I had a, a, it wasn't from a bumper sticker, but a similar, um, thing that Corey Ten Boom said, um, that I, I just love this. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Oh, bring it. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, that applies to this situation that we're all in and it applies to our situation, deciding what to do with our kids going, you know. Don't be afraid to trust him with either keeping your child at home for online school or sending them to school. You can trust him, whichever, um, whatever you feel he's called you to do, because you know God, you know him. Um, uh, one other thing that occurs to me about those, uh, those two stories, what he called Gideon to do and what he called Jehoshaphat to do were slightly different. Um, in their, like their roles were slightly different and they, they weren't called to do the exact same thing. And, um, I think that that's helpful too when we look at other people and the decisions that they're making for their families. Um, he may call your family to do things one way and another family to do things another way. And, um, everybody can be free to follow what God's telling them to do and don't let it make you insecure that you're not hearing from God just because your friend who you think highly of is doing something differently with their, with their, um, you know, family. So, um, mm. yeah, trust him yeah. to guide you with your child and, um, you know, let other people be free to be guided by God for their children. Yeah. So, yeah. And so to make a couple of COVID applications here, I think on one hand, this is particularly true of teenage parents. Uh, you know, you, um, I would imagine to varying degrees, you're sending your kids out into the world, whether that's they, they go to a job or they play a sport, maybe, they, maybe they're going to be going to school in person. And I know that, um, you know, 
you want your child to be responsible. You really want your, you want your child to wear a mask or you want your child to socially distant or you want your child to stay outside, don't go in the house or whatever it may be. And then there's this propensity to try to want to micromanage it. And there are just certain, certain responsibilities that you have to put in the hands of God and you have to put into the hands of your child, depending on the age of your child and the maturity level and all that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, I think that, that um, uh, I don't mean this in a fatalistic kind of way, but I think that in our most tense moments, we can feel like we need to take responsibility to fight off every pathogen, every germ that could come their way. And, you know, there are certain things that we can do to, to promote that. And um, we just don't have the power to sovereignly rule over every single germ in, in the world. And so there comes a point where we do our best and we just have to hand over the outcomes, um, hand, hand that over to the Lord and uh, understand that our child as an independent agent does have some, just does have some responsibility on their own that we have to entrust to them. Um, you know your child though, and you know how much responsibility they can handle. And so that's something to factor in. Um, anyhow. I think that's really important. Julie Sparkman talks about this too, because when our anxiety goes up and we're starting to take on things that are not our responsibility, it really interferes with our relationship with the child right? When that child is responsible and we're still trying to micromanage them, then uh, it really can interfere with our relationships and make them um, a whole lot more anxious and difficult than they have to be. So um, let them see you trust God with them. It will, um, it will help grow their faith and it will also help your relationship with them. Um, Joel have, uh, and sorry, one other thing on that too. I think that a lot of people are really worried about their child's education right now. Um, you know, we all kind of would like our kids to do really well in school and to have, you know, really good opportunities in that way. And, you know, this, this whole COVID thing has put a wrench, um, in that it's created a lot of, <laughs> a lot of kind of fear and concerns, uh, because, you know, we're not able to, to operate academically in an ideal, um, in an ideal uh, mode, you know, uh, virtual school is not, it's not as good as our kids. Um, uh, sorry, you know, whether it's kids can't move around at school or whatever, or kids having to learn online, whatever, it's not what we would ideally have for them. And so there are a lot of, we start to spiral and worry about what does this mean for their future? And what does this mean for college? And what is this, you know, are they going to fall behind all this kind of stuff? And, and those worries are us starting to go into, the realm of responsibility where we, you know, the area where we, you know, this is not a sub, not to steal your words here, Anna, but this is not a surprise to God. COVID-19 is not a surprise. Like, it's not like the Lord's like, Holy cow, where did this come from? Uh, and so with that being said, it factors in to God's plan for your child's life. You probably, you know, may have, it may factor in more relative to your child's character or more relative to your child's relationships with, you know, within their family or with their friends, whatever it may be. Um, but, uh, instead of kind of trying to double down some ways we have to let go of our child's future to some degree where we just don't have any control. We don't have really any ultimate responsibility. Team mom, you have anything to add there? 
Uh, it just makes me think of uh, don't be afraid to trust your child's future to the God that you know. Um, he, yeah, he's going to form, he is forming them, conforming them to the image of Christ and he will do what it takes, even if it means that they um, don't follow the trajectory or the plan that you thought they were going to have. It's still good. God has their good in mind more than, more than you can even know. Yeah, good word. It's actually great. <laughs> it's great. So for question time, I'm going to stop recording. Um, so people can just ask questions genuinely and not feel like their question is going to be broadcast on the World Wide Web. 